Well, it's great to be together this morning. What a fantastic weather it's been over this last week or so. English summers, eh? Unpredictable, occasionally glorious. So this morning we're picking up in our series, The Way to Life, and this morning's entitled Banking on God. And you won't be surprised, therefore, to find out that we're uh, focusing on the whole issue of money. Jesus had a lot to say about it, about money, wealth, greed, those sorts of issues. And so I, really, I just have a sense God's going to speak to us this morning. And so we're going to read a passage together that's from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Uh, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and uh, the words will come up behind me on the screen, so you'll be able to follow what I read. This is what it says. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Powerful words. Money's a really huge issue in today's society. There's a convention that when there's a change of government, outgoing ministers leave their successors a note with advice. In 2010, the outgoing Labour Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Liam Byrne, left the following note. I'm afraid there is no money. That's what he wrote. That's, what, that's the note he left him. His successor, David Laws, commented, this is what he said. He said it was honest, but slight, slightly less helpful advice than I'd been expecting. I think he was expecting something a little bit more hopeful. You see, money matters. What we do with our money matters. The old adage says, money makes the world go round. It's a serious issue, especially when the cost of living spirals and our income doesn't keep pace with inflation. I mean, it's no wonder that Jesus had a lot to say about it. You see, Jesus knows that the love of money is our greatest battleground. He talked about, it, he talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. About 30% of his parables talked about the issue of what we do with our money. I was reading the other day that uh, about 15% of all of his teaching is about the issue of money. If I spoke about money, the amount Jesus did, none of you would come anymore. You see, most of us have faced financial battles at some point. My brother-in-law, who helps people access finance, by the way, he's not a bank robber. <laughs> he 
He helps people uh, get loans. He was telling me he was no longer shocked by customers owing more than £50,000 on one credit card. The alarming level of our national debt is a result of massive overborrowing. And the really sad thing is it's got to be paid back. It's the reason why we run a debt advice centre here with the help of Christians Against Poverty. Even in a place like Winchester, there are many, many, many people struggling to make ends meet. We're all prone to worry over money, however much we have. And however much we have, it's never enough. We always need more. So whether we're struggling, succeeding, rich or poor, Jesus is going to speak to each and every one of us this morning. He's interested in what we do with our money because what we do with our money reveals the state of our hearts. There's a German uh, uh, pastor, uh, evangelical pastor, Helmut Thielicke, and he said in the 80s, our checkbooks tell more about what uh, we think, uh, our checkbooks tell more what we think about God than our, what we think about heaven and hell. Our checkbooks tell us everything about what we think about heaven and hell. It tells us more than we, what we sing about, what's in our hymn books. Our checkbooks tell an interesting tale. Phil Moore says this in his book, Gagging Jesus. He says, the real Jesus isn't too polite to talk about money. In fact, he tells us how we spend our money is the truest gauge of what we really think of his teaching. It's the clearest testament of our faith, what we do with our money. And so from the passage we've read, Jesus poses us three questions. And the first question I want us to consider is this. Where is our security? By asking this question, Jesus isn't saying money is bad. He could easily have done that. He could easily have said, money's evil, stay away from it. But money can't be evil. It is just stuff. It only has the value that we put on it. You see, the problem is we love it. We love money. Experts tell us that the average person spends 50% of his time thinking about money, about how to keep it, how to get it, how to save it, and how to spend it. What about us? Do we think about money? Do we find, I find myself sometimes thinking about, oh, it would be really nice to have this. It would be really nice if we had the money to, spend, to buy that thing or this. Do you find yourselves in your moments, perhaps when you're daydreaming, you're wondering about what you can buy or what you can spend, or wouldn't it be great if you had money to do certain things? It dominates our lives. But money isn't bad. Neither is Jesus saying that being rich is wrong. He didn't say poor equals good, rich equals bad. He didn't say that. Some people would have loved it. The religious people would have loved it. But Jesus is silent on this. And he said, it's annoying for those who would love to paint Jesus as being anti-rich. 
You see, the Bible says it's God who gives us the ability to earn wealth. It says that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. God who gives us the ability to earn wealth. And some Christians in the past have used their wealth to great effect, and some still do today. So if you uh, use Colgate toothpaste, the, the founder of Colgate, William Colgate, started his empire off. He created... He, Race huge, he made him, he was a very, very wealthy man and he used large sums of his money to fund all sorts of philanthropic things. He used his money to good effect. So Jesus poses us the question, where are we storing up our treasure? And Jesus identifies two possible sources. He says it's either heaven or it's on earth. And as far as Jesus is concerned, they're the only options. And he wants us to be those who store up treasure in heaven. You see, I, was, uh, I came across a survey the other day. This survey uh, by uh, the uh, public theology think tank Theos is a few years old now. But over 2,000 people they interviewed between October and November 2008, they found that 55% of people believed in heaven. They believed that there was somewhere they went after they died. If that's true, and we believe that, if that's true for you this morning, and you believe that when you die, there's, there's a place called heaven, that there will, there's a God who's in heaven, then it's important where you store your treasure. Because if you're storing for this life, we're in trouble. We want to be those who are rich towards God. We need to live with our eyes firmly fixed on what happens after we die. You see, Jesus gives us two reasons for changing our focus. He talks about two things. He talks about security and longevity. Security for us is a huge issue. I don't know if you've, there's been a few films around recently about the Hatton Garden job. Have you had the Hatton Garden heist? I don't know if you've seen it. But the gang uh, got away with an estimated 200 million pounds, mainly jewels. They broke into the Hatton Garden security deposit boxes. People thought they were safe. They uh, were given, people who had uh, security boxes there were given uh, uh, assurances, guarantees that their deposit box was secure, was absolutely secure. And so most of them didn't have insurance. And whilst they uh, recouped some of the money and they caught those who stole, they haven't got most of what was stolen back. You see, there are no guarantees. There's no security in this life. Jesus uses, the word that he, Jesus uses for rust would also have been used for rats or mice, mice devouring things. So if you stored clothes, you could find, come back and find that they'd been devoured. That's the language he's using. If we are storing for this life, we're in danger. What we're storing will be devoured. It will disappear. It will, it will go. We will not be able to keep a hold on it. Peter says this, the Apostle Peter says this, Jesus, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth in into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. There is an inheritance in heaven. And so what we do with our worldly wealth 
should be with an eye on what happens when we die. You see, Jesus was saying worldly treasures don't last. They're transitory. They're passing. They're ephemeral. They don't, they're here one minute and gone the next, and so is wealth. So how do we store up treasures on earth? John Stott says this. He says, Jesus' challenge is to turn away from extravagant and luxurious living. The hard-heartedness which does not feel the colossal need of the world's underprivileged people. The foolish fantasy that a person's life consists in the abundance of his possessions and the materialism which tethers our hearts to the earth. Let that sink in for a moment. Paul says something similar to Timothy when he writes to him. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God. We heard that this morning about we should trust God. We were singing about it. Their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of real life. That's what God wants for us. Hold on to what God has given us lightly in this life. The Bible doesn't say that storing up for a rainy day is wrong. In fact, it talks, encourages us in the Proverbs to be like the Antu, storing up for seasons. But we should always, always, always be ready to be kind and generous. From buying someone living on the street a sandwich or a, a bottle of water or giving to charitable causes and worthwhile causes. We should be always looking to be generous. It should mark us out. I don't know if you've seen the film Schindler's List. It's a very, very moving film. It's about a man, Oscar Schindler, who uses his business and his wealth to save Jews from the gas chambers in the Second World War. It's a true story. As he's fleeing, at the end of the film, as he's fleeing from the advancing Russian troops, he gets into his car and there's a moment where he looks at his watch. And he looks at his watch and he says, if I'd sold that, I could have saved 50 more. And then he looks at a ring on his finger and he says, that could have saved one more person from the gas chambers. It's a powerful film. We're to be those who make the right choices of what we do with our wealth in the light of eternity. You see, by the world's standards, each one of us here are wealthy. Each one of us. However much you have or however much you don't have, by the world's standards, we are wealthy people. And we need to remember that we are pilgrims and strangers. If we're followers of Jesus, we are passing through this world. These days are like the flowers of the field. The wind blows on them and they're gone. Our days don't last very long. God's challenge to us today is, where is 
our security. The second challenge is this. Are we seeing clearly? You see, what Jesus says in this passage isn't easy to understand. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? He's just been talking about money. In a moment, he's going to talk about money again. What on earth is he trying to say? See, the point Jesus is making is that if our eyes function well, it will help us see where we need to go. And in that respect, our eyes bring light into our thinking and enable us to make really good decisions. And if our eyes don't function properly, we're we're unable to see where we're going and what we should do. And so Jesus is saying our decision-making is affected by our spiritual eyes, and that's why Jesus warns us about money. Jesus says it is, e- it is harder for a rich man, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say it's hard for a rich man who loves money. He says it's harder for a rich man. Money has an impact has an impact on our lives. Money is dangerous. It's dangerous because it exercises power over us. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus warns us, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out. Jesus says lots of things. He talks about murder. He talks about adultery. He's talked about making vows. He doesn't say in those things, watch out for murder. He doesn't say, watch out. And you're, you're not walking down the street. You don't go, oh, bang, oh, blow. I wasn't watching out. I've just murdered someone. You don't do it. it doesn't work like that. Don't do it. Jesus says, don't do it. But he says, with money and greed, he says, watch out. Watch out. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? You see, the desire for money and wealth blinds us. Have you got a blind spot with greed? I had an orthodontist once. His name was Mr. Burks. And I remember him saying to me, I vividly remember the moment, he leaned over me and he said, you've got that teeth. I mean, ridiculous. I'm looking at him, he had had teeth like Bugs Bunny. And he's telling me I've got Bugs Bunny. How could he say that without any reflection of himself? We are like that with money. We can spot greed in someone else very, very easily. Never in ourselves. It's why Jesus says, how great is that darkness. It's why Paul warns us, some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They're blind, they can't see it, they pierce themselves because of the love of money. A.W. Tozer said, it doesn't take large quantities of money to come between us and God. Just a little, little pieces placed in the right places can affect 
our gaze and our sight. What about us? I don't know if you ever saw uh, Mrs. Merton. Some of you won't even know I'm talking about, but Carolina Hearn used to have a character called Mrs. Merton, and she interviewed once Debbie McGee, who was uh, the partner. I'm not sure if she was the wife at the time, but the partner of Paul Daniels, very wealthy man. And uh, uh, she used a spoof interview. Uh, it was a comedy interview. And as she interviewed, she asked her the brutal question. She says to her, what first attracted you to the millionaire, Paul Daniels? And she was silent. She could, there was nothing she could say. The whole audience roared with laughter. It's easy to spot in someone else, maybe. How many people have you heard confess that they're greedy? Over 30 years, I've never heard anyone say, I'm a greedy person. I need help. Never. Never heard anyone say it. Why is that? We're blind to it. I was really uh, uh, challenged by listening to Tim Keller earlier this week. He said this, if we say it's not a problem for us in our Western society, if greed is, we say greed's not a problem for us, it's a problem. How many of us would say this morning, would have said, it's not a problem for me? I want to tell you, if you're thinking like that, you're probably in danger of being blinded. You've probably got a blind spot. Why is it that we always live up to our income? Why do we always compare ourselves with people who have or earn more than us? Why could we always do with a little bit more money than we already have? Ecclesiastes warns us, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Why do we have to learn in, what is the New Testament? Why does Paul say to the Philippians, we have to learn the secret of contentment? It's a secret. We have to dig for it because so often we're blinded by greed. We have to look for contentment. Why is it when we see a dress or gadget, we have to have it? Why do we ignore decisions that take advantage of others? Why do we choose jobs that we don't enjoy? Is the desire for wealth blinding us? See, the consequence is we rarely give beyond what we think we can afford. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he talks about the Macedonians, and he commends these Macedonian believers, and he says they gave even beyond their ability. They decided what they were going to give, then they gave beyond it. And Paul commends them for their generosity out of their extreme poverty. We talk about radical Christianity, but it hardly impacts our pockets. Maybe, just maybe, we're not seeing clearly. John Wesley started Methodist, the Methodist church movement, as he traveled around the country, and he, as he started his ministry serving God, traveling on horseback, he earned 30 pounds. And he decided that in the 30 pounds that he earned, he needed 28 to live on. That's when he started. The rest he would give away. He lived on that sum of money till the day he died. Everything else, when he got more money, gave it away. He decided what he needed to live on, and then he gave the rest away. 
He was living for a different place. Those who are going to Rwanda, we're sending 11 people to Rwanda this week. They are going to have their eyes opened to how wealthy we really are. They're going to come back carrying something in their hearts and spirits that will do them good but will do us good because they're going to see something and be experiencing something of people who are happy who have nothing. And yet these people are joy-filled and yet we look and we think we, uh, we, around us our homes are full of stuff. You may be thinking, Steve, it's not about the money. I want to tell you very kindly, it's always about the money. It's always about the money. Always about the money. Are we like the people who lived in the region of Gadarene? Jesus comes into their region. There's a guy who's been, uh, he's demon-possessed. Uh, he's, tr- he's just been causing trouble. And people won't go that way because of the havoc he's causing. He's shouting out, screaming. He's a troubled, troubled man. And Jesus comes and he sets him free and he casts the demons out. And if you know the story, the demons go into a herd of pigs and the herd of pigs go off the edge of a cliff and they run down the slope and they all drown. This, that's their, this, the, the villagers in that area, that was their income. They shouldn't have been herding pigs, but it was their income and their, their pigs all die. Rather than being thrilled that this guy is set free and delivered and this whole part, an area they couldn't go is now, now safe because this guy, his life has been transformed. They're more concerned about the pigs and their loss of income and they ask Jesus to leave. We can be like that. Do we rejoice over lives transformed or are we lost in stuff about ourselves and our own lives? Soren Kierkegaard said this, The matter is quite simple. Listen to this, this is shocking. The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we're obliged to act accordingly. In Revelation, Jesus speaks to a church in Laodicea in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. And he, he says to them, You say that I am rich... You say that you're rich, you've become wealthy and you need nothing. Jesus says to the church, I say you don't realize you are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind and naked. And Jesus' advice to them is come to me and purchase ointment to spread on your eyes so that you can see. We live in a society that is plagued by materialism. It's so easy to be influenced by it. We need to be people who constantly come and repent, turn to God and say, God, help me, give me ointment for my eyes that I might see clearly, that I might not be chained to the God of wealth, the God of this age. Help me to be a generous, thoughtful giver, 
You see, we need to be accountable with what we do with our wealth. Let's submit ourselves to one another. Let's talk about it. It's one of those things we don't talk about because we're blinded to it. We're to be those who are generous, give thoughtfully, willingly, regularly, and most importantly, joyfully. That's why we encourage people to give in the church. That's why we encourage you to. That's why we encourage you. Not because we want your money, but because... It's a stronghold in this world. And so for nearly 30 years, well, over 30 years, Annie and I have been given a proportion of our income away every month. And it costs, there have been seasons, it's really cost us where we've been struggling to make ends meet. There have been seasons where we've had plenty. There have been seasons where we've had less. But we've kept doing it because it keeps trying to, we're trying to break this hold of greed in our lives. This need for stuff. And I want to tell you, we are still wealthy people. We are still blessed people. But we do, and I'm telling you not to make you feel bad, but to tell you that it's true for me. I see how greedy I can be. And if it's true for me, it's true for you. Finally, who are you serving? And this won't take long. Who are you serving? When you take out a bank loan, who's in control? You or the bank? The bank. Jesus says, who, it says the person, we, Jesus says, who we serve, we are indebted to. We can't serve two masters, Jesus says. We'll either serve God or money. Mammon, the word he, he uses, mammon, seems to have been the Carthaginian god of wealth. You see, Jesus is saying there's no place for divided loyalties. You see, why, why is that underneath what seems to be a, a harmless desire to accumulate wealth, there is something, or rather someone, far more sinister? We've already seen there's nothing inherently wrong with money in itself. Yet the devil has sought to take what God uses as a means of blessing for us and, and chain us to it. He's, he's taken what God has meant as a means of blessing and twist it so that we end up focusing on the gift and not the giver. He fools us into thinking by our own ingenuity and cleverness that we earn wealth. We're like flies caught in a spider's web. Jesus this morning asks us, who are we serving? Bob Dylan wrote a song many years ago on his album Slow Train coming and the album the song was called gotta serve someone and he summed it this up this whole issue up in the following lyrics well it may be the devil or it may be the lord but you're gonna have to serve someone if you're not serving god with your wealth you're serving the god of this world our attitude to wealth is a good indicator of who we're serving. You see, the Bible says we have been bought at a great price. In Acts 20, verse 35, it quotes Jesus. Most of Jesus' quotes are in the Gospels. But in Acts 20, verse 35, it talks about, Luke writes and says, Remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Is it? I really like receiving. I love it. Don't you? On my birthday, if I'm giving presents on my birthday, it's a disappointment. Honestly, I like receiving presents. Don't you? Come on, tell the truth. 
You do, don't you? Yeah? Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive. More blessed to give than receive. Where do we get this grace for giving? Where do we get this grace for giving? We get it at one place. We get it at the cross. We've been remembering Jesus dying for us on the cross. Terry Virgo says it takes God's grace to liberate you from the natural tendency to cling to money and put your own needs first. It takes God's grace to liberate you from the natural tendency to cling to money and put your own needs first. We need the grace of God. This is what happened at the cross. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, who were through his poverty, might become rich. At the cross, the great transaction took place. The cross is, it's the cross's power is the only thing that can free us from the love of money. The cross is power. Only the cross's power can do that. You see, as we draw to a close, Jesus says, where our treasure is, there will be our heart also. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Where is your heart this morning? Where is your heart? What's your heart focused on? What's the focus of your heart? What's driving you? What are the things that are driving you? Is it the security that comes from having enough money to be able to do everything we want to do? Is it the need to have more so that we can have and do all things we see others enjoying? Are we constantly focused on making ends meet? Where is our treasure? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, we all have treasures in some shape or form. It may not be money. It may be husband, wife, or children. It may be some gift we have which in actual worth and monetary value is very small. To some people, their treasure is their house. No matter what it is or how small it is, if it is everything to you, that is your treasure. That is the thing for which you're living. So as we come in to finish this morning, the treasure of our lives should be God himself. God said to Abraham, described as the father of all of us who believe, God says, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. God is our reward. David in Psalm 16, verse five says this, Lord, you alone are my inheritance. My cup of blessing is God, your cup of blessing. The real treasure is a relationship with God, the living God through Jesus. Jesus himself said that the person who finds a relationship with God is like a man who comes across a field. He's walking through a field and he finds a treasure worth more than everything. He goes away and sells everything to get this treasure in the field. 
That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about selling everything for him because he's our real treasure. He's worth everything. Can we agree with Peter this morning who said that Jesus is very precious to those who believe? Is Jesus precious to you? Is he our treasure? Or is he just one of many other priorities? If you want to know, look what you do with your money. Look at what controls your life. Look where your security is. Is he your treasure? Our heart's cry should be this. It's in the Song of Solomon. It's a love song. It's it's a lover crying out to the beloved, saying this, my beloved is the first among 10,000. Is Jesus the first among 10,000 to you? Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the band to come and join us. And as they come up and as Ben plays quietly in the background, I just want to just say right at this moment, this is a moment for you to do business with God. There isn't anyone here who doesn't feel the pull of money. The chains of wealth holding them down. The cares of this life. There isn't one of us. And this is a moment to do business with God. Just to say, God, I want to repent. I want you to break those chains in my life. Jesus, I want you to be the first among 10,000. You are my treasure right now. There may be some practical things that you need to do as a result of this. You need to make some adjustments. But first of all, it's about your heart. So take this moment, just a few moments of silence, or Ben plays quietly, and then Mark will lead us in a song.